Namaste and welcome to Pods by PI, a policy discussion series brought to you by Policy Entrepreneurs Inc. My name is Saurabh Lam. It's COP27 season. As the world gathers in Egypt for COP27 this week, the discussion on climate change, its global impact, and the need to curb the dependency on carbon-intensive sources of energy takes center stage. In this episode, we bring you my conversation with Nirjan Rai on mainstreaming renewable energy in Nepal. Nirjan is a researcher with over a decade-long experience in designing, managing, and leading analytical studies in the areas of energy and water governance in Nepal. He helped establish PEI and Niti Foundation, two Nepali policy research institutions, and has also worked at the Asian Development Bank and the Asia Foundation. In this episode, Nirjan and I discuss his 2021 paper, The Political Economy of Mainstreaming Renewable Energy in Nepal. The paper explains the significance of renewable energy in Nepal's pursuit of its energy goals and how the politics of institutions in the sector obstructs its mainstreaming. As we explore the findings of his paper, we also evaluate the hydro-dominant narrative extent in the Nepali energy sector and the recommendations that are rooted in the realities of the sectoral politics. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Nirjun, welcome to Pods by PEI. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Shall we get started? Sure. Uh, I'd like to thank you for inviting me to the All show right. as well. Okay, so... Um, First off, I think I'd like to start off with the title of the report itself. So it's called uh, The Political Economy of Mainstreaming Renewable Energy in Nepal. What is political economy and what does mainstreaming renewable energy mean for Nepal? All right, uh, thank you. Uh, this is a good question to start off with. It gives me the opportunity to explain some of these concepts that people may know, but be good to break it down in a way that everybody can understand. So let me begin by actually describing the, the last term, term that you use, which is renewable energy. Then we'll go to mainstreaming and then we'll go to political economy. That'll make it much easier for me to, to give you an idea of what we're trying to do with this paper. So with renewable energy, uh, if you look at from a global term, uh, includes non-fossil fuel-based uh, energy, uh, which would refer to hydropower, solar, hydrogen, and many others. But in the case of Nepal, given that there's a lot of discussion around hydropower, hydropower constitutes about over 90% of our energy source, the discussion around renewable energy that we are focusing in on is other than hydro renewables. This would be solar, wind, so and so forth. But given the situation in Nepal that solar is quite advanced uh, and the other sources of energy are not so advanced or not applicable for Nepal, I will be referring largely to other than hydro renewables with a particular focus on solar power. So that's renewable energy. Now discussion on mainstreaming is, is another concept that we need to understand uh, at the outset. Uh, there may be different opinions that people may have as to what constitutes uh, mainstreaming. But in our research, for the purpose of our, of our research, we're defining these to mean that the policy conditions uh, have been established by the government for the full integration uh, of the other than hydro renewables into the national grid. This in no way is meant to negate all of the important work that is being done in other areas of RE in Nepal. But for the sake of the paper, that is our definition. Now, how this paper differs from other paper is the lens that we use to do our analysis. 
could do from a technical analysis, you could do other forms of analysis, but the lens that we use to look at this particular policy problem is a political economy. And what we mean by political economy is to look at the institutions that are engaged in the policy process in Nepal and to see what interests and incentives they hold in terms of putting for, forth a particular policy, this being mainstream of renewable energy. So what we are trying to do in the paper is to look at the different institutions that are engaged in the pulse renewable energy sector and, and, and to see how they position themselves and the interest they have in terms of pushing for this particular policy. Absolutely. Um, so we'll come back to the major findings in a bit, uh, but I just wanted to quickly ask, so Nepal's hydropower story is um, one of great potential, but very low achievements. So where does this report find its rationale for mainstream renewable energy in Nepal? Despite the fact that hydropower constitutes a, a large part of our narrative, there is a good argument to be made that we should be diversifying our energy source away from hydropower. So now, and, and the further we have a more of a uh, mixed source, we'll have better energy security. This comes from the fact that there is also the issue around climate change and the changes in hydrology that is impacting hydropower development already. So 20, 30 years down the line, when the hydrology changes significantly, it may be a good bet to start in, uh, putting it into other sources of energy. The second one is the market. We see that the cost of renewables, particularly solar power, has dropped immensely. Globally, it has come down to a fraction of what it was about a decade ago. And for us, uh, it, it would be wise to actually cash in on that if possible and where possible. So there is this, this good reason to, to be investing in, in solar power and other, other renewables. Absolutely. So coming back to the main topic at hand, uh, which is mainstreaming renewable energy in Nepal, does Nepal actually have other than hydro renewable potential? If yes, um, what are the various socio-political hindrances that have limited the mainstreaming of renewable energy in Nepal? There, there is some potential. Now, I don't want to go into, into, into the technical aspect of how much there is. There, there are lots of studies that do talk about it. But where I do want to talk about the hindrances is that it, 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 is in, in, in different, it comes from different avenues, particularly from the interests and incentives established by the, the institutions that play a role in this sector. The first being, as I mentioned earlier, there is a strong hydrocentric narrative. Uh, it is a resource that is endowed, nature has endowed upon us, and we have used this to develop a narrative around which uh, national prosperity is based on. So uh, we talk about 80,000, 40,000 megawatt of our potential and the ability to exploit that and to sell it in the India market is something that we have relied on quite a lot. This narrative is, is in green not only in the bureaucracy, but in the overall uh, sentiment of the, the, the Nepali public as well. So to, to change from that to something else is going to be a, a major challenge. And going with that, the, the second hindrance comes from the fact that our institutions, our infrastructure has been all developed around uh, hydropower development. And so for a new technology to come, there is a resistance from the institutions that we have already who do not or who do not have the capacity 
to, to uptake this new source of electricity. And the third one is that we already have, we are talking about a surplus of uh, electricity. In, uh, we already have that in, in some of the months and we are projected to have throughout the year in the next five to 10 years. So having an intermittent source of, of uh, energy does not fall in place with the, the projections of where we are going to have surplus. And we haven't figured out a way to, to utilize all of this. And so these uh, issues make it very difficult for us to mainstream or to talk about mainstreaming renewable energy into the mix. Absolutely. That has indeed been a challenge um, in the case of the Nepali electricity sector. Um, I found this one very interesting line that's written on the report uh, that mentions that a political economy analysis is an attempt to find out what is going on. So what is going on in the Nepali electricity space in terms of renewables? Who are the key entities within this space? In terms of the policymaking space of the uh, renewable energy, we have three primary players at the moment. The first one is, is the ministry, of course, which has the, the responsibility of the overall sector, not just re renewable energy, but electricity energy. Then we have the Nepal Electricity uh, Authority, NEA, which is the primary off-taker of all electricity generated in the country, which is our sole uh, monopolistic public utility. And then we have the Alternative Energy Agency, AEPC. Uh, so among these, as, as I said before, where we have the, the ministry and the NEA, they both come from this very hydrocentric mindset that they have developed over the years. And so their, their projection of what they want to do with, with water is around exploiting that. And so for mm -hmm. them, it is, it is difficult. Now, five years ago, when there was a large deficit in our system, and so we were undergoing a significant power, a chronic power crisis, there was an incentive for the bureaucracy to try to find a way uh, in which to increase generation in the mix. And so there was a window of opportunity that had opened up for renewable energy to be placed in the mix. And that was when you saw this, this commitment towards uh, putting about five to 10 megawatts of, sorry, five to 10% of the overall composition of our electricity source from renewable energy. But that was about five, 10, about five years ago when there was a, a crisis. Today, when we do not have the power cuts or we do not have scheduled power cuts, and we have pretty good supply from the Indian system and also have increased our own generation, then there is less of a, an incentive for the ministry to actually want to be, be increasing the, the uptake of the renewables. Now, there's also other issues around the ministry's uh, interest around land use of the, the newer renewable energy sources, uh, the amount of land that is taken up by uh, solar uh, parks is immense and in a country with limited land, that's always a problem. There's also issues of uh, managing water that uh, the government wants to do, the bureaucracy wants to hold in terms of its uh, capture over hydropower. So they had a, a, a time when they had an interest, but now that is waning. Similarly with NEA, they had an opportunity where uh, the window of opportunity where they did want to uptake some of this renewable energy. 
But like I said before, the institution is the infrastructure that the institution holds is less amicable for that now. And the fact that they have been decreasing the preferential tariff that they have been offering to support, to promote renewable energy. So these are the where the resistance is coming from. Absolutely. We have the APC, right? The, the, the agency now with the responsibility to be promoted. But it can only do so in a, it has a limited role in terms of promoting the mainstreaming of renewable energy. The way that APC was established was not to mainstream renewable energy, but as a means to increase access to electricity of rural population. And that was why renewable was initially introduced in Nepal. And that is decreasing. And so APC is in an existential crisis of how it wants to survive. Mm-hmm. And it is trying to get this as one of its uh, mandates. But there's a fourth agency that is also at play, which has a, a lesser role, but there is some tussle with, with AEPC, is the Department of Electricity Development. Now, DOED was established largely to promote hydropower, electricity uh, through hydropower, but there is now, given the fact that uh, it is it has been charged with developing electricity, these two, DOED and AEPC, are at, they have some sort of a turf war going on, and how this moves forward is difficult to say. APC has always been the darling or a, a projectified project of donors and does not have a strong presence in the bureaucracy. And GOED has a, a more of a presence. So together, all of these are playing in a way that the space of it is very limited. And, but as I mentioned earlier, there is also this movement towards the, the, the uh, environment is pushing towards a, a, an increased mainstreaming of renewable energy. But the institutions aren't designed or don't have the interest in, uh, incentives to, to do so. So how we get about doing this is the million-dollar question. That is indeed uh, the challenge. So with everything that's been said about the challenges and the dominative narrative, dominant narrative around hydropower projects, in my final question, uh, what can be done in the short term and the long term to mainstream, mainstream renewable energy in Nepal beyond hydropower? In the, in the paper, we talk about large two areas. Uh, one is in terms of the, the narrative that we discussed, and the other is more practical where we recommend that the government implement some of the immediate tasks that can be done. So the first one has to do with narratives. Now, when we say narrative, it, is, it, may, it may sound a little superfluous, but the idea about the need to rethink how we approach our energy dilemma, our energy uh, scenario, is to reconsider how we approach renewable energy and hydropower. So the first thing we have to look at is to consider the, the complementarities between the renewable energy that we're talking about and hydropower. Given that there is a, a reluctance on our hydro bureaucracy, that they come from uh, this particular approach to solving our electricity crisis, they seem threatened when whenever we discuss in terms of offsetting electricity. So the idea would be to talk about complementarities. Now, renewable energy is an intermittent source, and uh, we have hydropower, which can be developed in a way that it can complement. So if we invest in, say, something like a, a reservoir type of projects, then we have complementarities where renewable energy, such as solar, provides during uh, the daytime, 
or when there is a lot of sun, we can, have, you can rely on that. And when we do not have that, then we rely on something like an immediate source of power through, through storage. So that would be discussing the, the complementarities. But also we can talk about how the, the uh, investments in renewable energy can go hand in hand with uh, investments in hydropower. Now, this is kind of more on the narrative side, but something which we can work immediately is also to increase the demand for electricity. One of the reasons that the public utility, the NEA, is reluctant is because it, it, it has enough uh, electricity for the, the current consumption. And so it does not want to go into taking up additional um, electricity that it does not use. But the fact that our electricity consumption is one of the lowest in the world, which is around less than uh, 300 kilowatt hours, is, is very minimal. And so if we talk about increasing this to, to, to doubling or tripling this, it just means we'll need more electricity. And that sort can, that can be sourced through hydropower, through trade with India, or through renewable energy sources. And so the idea to increase this is, is uh, important. Along with this, the reason why we need to increase demand for electricity comes from the discussion around climate change. We have uh, a lot of our uh, energy use comes from uh, fossil fuel. And if we can start changing that into something greener, then it is, it is going to be useful for all of us. For example, we can talk about changing the consumption pattern for cooking. Most of this is happening through fossil fuel, through LPG, or through wood. So if we can change that into electricity consumption, through, through electric, uh, electric uh, cooking, now that can be a, a major win for us. The other uh, part of this is in terms of transportation. Uh, a lot of the fuel that we import from India at the moment is used for transportation. Now there is a push for uh, using electric city, uh, EVs in the, in the market, uh, but that's largely in the, in the private sector right now. But if the government can come up with policies to push for EVs in the public domain, now that would be a win-win for not just uh, electricity, but also in terms of the climate for, for all of us. Absolutely. Uh, thank you very much for those uh, incredible concluding comments about mainstreaming renewable energy in Nepal. So one last thing. Um, so where might uh, our listeners be able to get an access of this report that you have published? Thank you for bringing me here. This has been a, a wonderful opportunity for us to disseminate our work. It can be found in our website at www.pei.center. Thanks for listening to Parts by PEI. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nirjan on the case for renewable energy in Nepal and the political economy of the institutions that stand in the way of mainstreaming it. Today's episode is part of The Brief. It was produced and edited by me, Saurav Lama, with support from Kushihan. The episode was recorded at PEI. Our theme music is courtesy of Rohit Shakya from Zindabad. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast. Also, please do us a favor by sharing us on social media and leaving a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to the show. For PEI's video-related content, please search for Policy Entrepreneurs on YouTube. To catch the latest from us on Nepal's policy and politics, please follow us on Twitter at Tweet2PEI. That's tweet followed by the number 2 and PEI and on Facebook at Policy Entrepreneurs Inc. You can also visit PEI.center to learn more about us. Thanks once again from me, Saurav Lama. We'll see you soon in our next episode.